It's time to stop dealing and start demanding. It's time to stop being VC and start being transparent and authentic. It's time to get real. Prepare yourself. It's time for Crazy and the King. Welcome to Crazy and the King. Uh, So let's see. Uh, I don't know. I'm actually losing track, Jay. I don't know if it's week five, week four, week three and two days. Yeah, I mean, like, literally, I'm seeing people counting. I I know Rayanne Thorne out in California. She has been uh, probably uh, on forced stay-at-home. She actually decided, her and her husband decided to do it, I think, two weeks before I even started to do it. So I'm actually starting to lose track. How are you? I am good. Get Definitely getting stir crazy, but uh, it also kind of feels like a little more normal yeah. now, if that makes sense. Like I'm getting into the flow of of life again. Uh, so that's been nice this week. It's a little cold here, but other than that, I can't really complain. Yeah, no, weather is going up and down. But what do you mean getting back into the flow of life? Like I don't have to do morning drop-offs for school or any of that. So are you like moving outside of the house more now? Um, Not other than to run. We're not, but it just feels like we're back in a better routine. People are being more responsive. They're a little bit more used to this. And the anxiety, I think, feels a little bit less, or at least for me it does. And so now it's really just kind of impatient to travel to see the people you know in our world and do all of those things but i don't feel as anxious as i did before yeah well uh honestly it is an experience unlike any other that i felt in my lifetime and uh, for me movement has still been stalled i don't want to say you know a standstill but it's pretty close like i literally have driven my truck out of the garage once in the last three or four weeks and so yeah. Uh, I definitely know that we are on a slower, slower pace. But the good side is that I'm spending more time reading. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. actually strategizing on the business and have decided, Julie, uh, to rebrand. So I'm hoping later this Ooh. year. Yeah, I'm hoping later this year to to release a uh, rebranded version of the work that I'm doing with uh, clients and organizations. So. I'm excited about that. And I've also had several other glimmers. And, you know, I'm sure the HR and TA community has has had a number of, of, of them that they can talk about uh, from happy hour Zoom calls, which I think all of us have been on at least one of those. Like, And, and yeah. mind you, Julie, I've been on uh, at least 10. And not <laughs> once have we had, yeah, not once have we had an incident. So it's always been, it's always been good, but from the happy hour That's Zoom call, for HR people. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know they're not they're risk advert. You know they they try to keep it real buttoned up and tight. You understand? Um, so, but but I will tell you one of the glimmers that was really amazing was um, you know a week or so ago when uh, Hung Lee did the twenty four hour marathon, and it was actually a marathon that you were a part of. That was awesome. That was fun. That was really fun. I, I couldn't a, I couldn't believe how many people were there. I could not believe just the infrastructure that hung got together so quickly. And what an amazing 
community that we have, like lots of new faces and names, but a lot of the names that I love to see too. So that that was definitely a pick me up yesterday. Yeah, it was. It was a pretty good thing. So talk to us. What's going on today? Um, so a couple weeks ago when we were recording, you mentioned um, Netflix's Crip Camp on on the pod and asked if I had watched it. And um, I kind of guiltily said no. And it wasn't really because I didn't want to watch it. It's been on the list, but I kind of, when I thought of it, I was like, it's going to piss me off. I'm going to cry. I'm going to be angry. Um, they're going to muck it up in some way. And I just don't know if I'm in the headspace to do it. And so finally last night, my wonderful husband who prods me out of my comfort zone said, it doesn't matter if you're in the right headspace or not. This is about your community. We're going to watch it. And so we did. And I was completely wrong. I'm actually so happy that I watched it. I watched it again today. Like that wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So so I'm smiling because... You know, we use the pod to be honest with one another and with our listenership, um, whether they are regular subscribers or individuals that are just dropping in or, you know, as they use that term lurking, uh, just to see what Julie and I are talking about. We use this platform to be honest and transparent. And so the reason why I asked is because I really wanted to just get one piece off of my chest. Okay. And then we could talk about all of it. But okay. so for me, I didn't have hesitation going in. I didn't know what to expect. I, I, I just had no expectation whatsoever. I, I just knew that it was about a, a community that I wasn't necessarily a part of, but absolutely fond of. Uh, and so and maybe fond is not the right word, but supportive. Um, and so fond is fine. Yeah. OK, cool. So I got to tell you, man, the first 10, 15 minutes I was actually uncomfortable watching it. And I think the reason why I was uncomfortable watching it is because during that, well, even after that first 15 minutes, during the first almost up to 40 minutes or so, I kept thinking about times that I had been um, the only um, African-American or black male in a classroom and conversations came up around slavery and all of the kids in the classroom would look at me or Mm -hmm. times that I had been inside of, uh, you know, convenience stores, maybe even department stores and um, incidents may have happened and everyone looked at me Uh, Mm -hmm. sitting amongst adults as an adult and they talk about various things that are happening in the news, perhaps, you know, specific communities, communities of color, and everyone's looking at me. And so as I give those three examples, naturally I'm getting a bit older from school to teenage years to adult years. And what I experienced, Julie, in the first 15 or 20 minutes of the movie was, I don't, I don't know how other people around the world that are watching this, how they're looking at them on that screen. We're not used to seeing this on our screen. Mm -hmm. You understand what I'm saying? I think the number is less than 3% 
Um, actually, it's 2.7% of characters um, in entertainment, I believe, showed some degree of, of disability. Like, like never. It, it just doesn't happen. And so yeah. I was and actually uncomfortable. If they are even disabled, right? It, exactly. The if actors may even, not even be. Yeah, that's exactly right. So I actually, it was hard for me to watch it because I didn't know how other people were looking at that community. Were they laughing at them? Were they pointing at them? Were they were they questioning why they were on the film, on the screen? So anyway, I don't want to stay there too long, but I got to tell you, I was uncomfortable. And then I became very comfortable, even borderline angry towards the end of the movie. And then, of course, I ended with a smile. <laughs> well, I do want to spend some time on that, but let because I, I think that discomfort was a was a purposeful mechanism. And I think for, uh, I think for a person of color that it, that discomfort is even more intentional, I I, I think. And I think that's good. So I want to talk about that, but let's give everyone sort of the, the lay of the land on this documentary you should absolutely watch it. It's on Netflix. If you don't have Netflix, I'll give you my password. It's that good. <laughs> um, so we'll start by that this was actually produced um, by Barack Michelle Obama. They have a, a big agreement with Netflix right now. So we're seeing a lot of original programming coming from the Obamas. So first of all, that just made me very happy. Yep, yep. And... One thing that President Obama did well was include people with disabilities in his administration. He did. One thing that he, I wish he had done better was include us in the laundry list of uh, groups of people that need to be included when he was making his speeches. It was an active part of his behavior and I wish I'd been an active part of his campaigning in the same way that um, HRC included us. But this was probably one of the most kind of poignant pieces of film about people with disabilities, including people with disabilities that that I've ever seen. And I don't know if if you catch in the beginning, just before they start talking about the the Crip Camp, um, they have some TV announcers talking about kind of people with disabilities and how they're the others and they're sort of creatures and, and these kind of things. And that language that was so common then is not that uncommon now. Um, or and, and our biases are not that different now. And so, um, you know, this really just tells a story about how inclusion and representation can spark revolution. And it started at camp, a right? Camp. Like yeah. I went to church camp when I was little and, and I, I definitely didn't start a revolution there. Yeah, absolutely. And a camp that was just, you know, a stone's throw away from, um, what's the name of that thing? Uh, Woodstock, you know, just Woodstock. A, yeah, just a stone's throw away from Woodstock. And it's probably important for the audience to know that, you know, the film really pulled from about 40 years of old footage. I found that to be fascinating as well. Like whoever started 
you know, the camp, um, forget their names back in the day when they started the camp, that they had the, the vision, the foresight, the instinct to bring out a video camera. I, I can only imagine how big that damn thing was, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just, you know, having that, that camera out and pulling from that footage and grabbing those photos and then incorporating present day interviews, a real, real collage of history and, um, you know, events and uh, personality. Like I smiled at the young man. I don't know if you remember him, Julie, somewhere towards the beginning, uh, the young man who was blind. He actually ended up being blind because he got too much oxygen in his incubator. Mm-hmm. as a baby. And, and so when the camera came on, um, it, it said his name and then it gave his real phone number. He gave his real phone number. Uh, and and he, oh, yeah. yeah, he gave his real phone number. And then he said, you know, I don't know who's going to see this. I don't know when you're going to see this, but if you see it, uh, I want you to know that I'm blind. I had too much oxygen in, in the incubator and I want you to call me. And I just said, like, look at this, the freedom and the spirit and the, you know, just look at that right there. He's not you know, wallowing in his uh, inability to see, he is seeing that things can be beautiful. He, he doesn't, he's not judging anything. He has no uh, uh, list of preconditions. All he said is, call me. He didn't say what we were going to talk about. Just call me. Like, I love, yeah. you know, I loved seeing the realness of of the personalities and the people. And so, you know, that's what toyed at me in the beginning. It was a matter of me moving through emotions like, damn, I don't know what these folks is doing, man, but they grabbing at the kid. You know, they really are pushing me to think differently, to feel differently, to view differently, to be present differently. It was, it was an incredible beginning. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that it, that exact piece is what created this group of activists and and revolutionaries really that drove the civil rights movement in the 60s and 70s and today for people with dis- with disabilities so if if we can then take about what we know about that period of time there is a, a drastic differences in in realities for people with disabilities not just from people who are not disabled but with each other and so, so many people with disabilities at that time were still institutionalized. Yep. And they were institutionalized in absolutely barbaric. We wouldn't, we would not put our dogs in the types of institutions that we kept humans in during the 1950s, 60s, and, and part of the 70s till we really started to move to um, deinstitutionalization and and home and community-based services. And when you're treated like an animal, what the result of that is. And so we saw some kids coming in from to the camp from um, an institution in New York um, who couldn't feed themselves, who couldn't bathe, who could had absolutely no ability to self-care yep. because no one had taught them to. If I didn't teach my children how to do things, they wouldn't know how to do them. And this is the the drastic difference that we see versus some of the other kids who were raised in neighborhoods where 
polio had ran rapid and a lot of the kids had disabilities and being in a wheelchair was, was not a thing. And, um, others who had parents who they felt like were either overprotective or maybe embarrassed about their disabilities and sort of the, the range of maturities that we saw kind of, of the players coming into um, Camp Gen Ed and how much the expectations that were put on them as, as young human beings shaped their outcomes as adults. And when we set low expectations for people, they always meet them. And for so long, that's what we've seen in in the disability community. And we still struggle is that we set incredibly low expectations because we don't want to put risk. We don't want people to fail. And so we expect nothing. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think about, you know, the educational system, just as a sidebar, think about education uh, in cities like Baltimore and so many others around the country where we have, uh, you know, dismal graduation rates, where we have, you know, too many teachers, not all, but too many. Uh, that have those minimal expectations. They're not willing to go into the classroom and challenge uh, these young people. And and it shows in the end, it shows through that, uh, you know, that, that, that passing of them uh, with, with, I don't know, medi- mediocrity, if you will, instilling that mediocrity into them. And, and what I saw, you know, as I looked at the camp and you're right, there were individuals there that do- were able to do a phenomenal job of caring for themselves as well as others. You know, it was amazing to see the supportiveness that the folks with a disability still, you know, they, they, they stepped outside of such and was willing to lend and to be supportive, you know, whether it be helping an individual to the table, to dine, uh, to get dressed, to get into the swimming pool. Like just amazing how, yo, Julie, did you see him getting a freak on? Like these, these, oh God! These, I mean, like I said, oh, you talk about you high expectations. I'm like, yeah. So I mean, just really to see them live. That's what I'm saying. Like I went through a variety of different emotions, man. I was like, yo, I'm all over the place in this thing, and it was just incredible to see how they came together. You know, at Camp Janaid, uh, Janaid, and it's spelled J E N E D, and the nickname for all of the campers were Janadians which I thought was interesting, beautiful. Uh, And so just to see them take the camp and, you know, use what they had experienced uh, from the 19, let's say late 1960s to early 70s, you know, to take that and to roll that into a movement, to roll that into a battle cry, to roll that into a uh, initiative where they were going to fight for legislation and access. And quite frankly, Julie, I feel like, they probably grabbed motivation or let's say a steam from the civil rights movement. Not that they weren't motivated prior to, because again, they're the one living and experiencing this. But if you come on the heels of, wait a minute, these folks just got legislation passed, you know, while everything may not be, you know, beautiful for them, they've done it. So let's, yo, let's get in the car while it's got some gasoline in it. And I really yep. felt like it was an, a matter of timing. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I think in a lot of ways it was an ode to to the original civil rights movement. And I, I loved the piece where they were 
doing the sit-in protest kind of thing. And the Black Panthers came and provided food yeah. every day. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, there's a couple things that, that you just really hit on that are important. It, a lot of times we're too busy fighting each other for a space at the table yep. and for our own space at the table. And what was very deliberate and what was very pointed in the film is that at least in this version of the civil rights movement, we supported each other and we knew that we were stronger together. We were different, right? And there's nothing wrong with acknowledging those differences. We would be losing out to not do that, but that by coming together, we would further the cause for all of us. And that's what the Black Panthers demonstrated. That's what the Genetians demonstrated by pulling all types of people with disabilities together instead of, you know, saying, well, I just represent people who are deaf or people with polio or that kind of thing. They recognize that strength. And I think a little bit of that has been lost in our current um, fight for individuality and, and to be recognized. And, and that's something that we should talk more about how to get that back. And the other thing that really stood out to, <laughs> and you said this, you like the people uh, get their freak on, right? Think, so, hey, right. Cool. I mean, one, one very big part of disability, especially when you have a, a visible disability is being seen as, um, asexual and, um, unable to be loved or desired or to even have those desires as a part of, of who you are. And that's a way that we, um, that, that the world dehumanizes people with disabilities and makes them less than or unable to kind of fully live a human life. And so what I really liked, while it, there was parts that, you know, just make you uncomfortable as a parent when you think about your teenagers at camp, um, that really portrayed that piece of their humanity and I think needs to be done more often because it changes the way that you look at a person in a wheelchair when you realize they have the same physical yes. needs and desires and and need for love and and you know relationships that people with able bodies do. Absolutely. I mean again when you when you paint more of the humanity piece on an individual it absolutely changes how we see them. And you are so so right. I, I think uh often uh to a comment um Joe Madison made he's on the uh, same Sirius XM channel that 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 I'm on. And I think about a comment that he made nearly a decade ago, and I had never thought about it this way. But what he was talking about, Julie, was people in poor communities. And I, I believe the conversation had something to do with uh, stereotypes and, you know, why do they have so many babies or or this, that and the third. And and he said something that's that has stuck with me for over a decade now. And, and I'm paraphrasing. But what he said was, sometimes all you have is one another. When, mm -hmm. when things are grim, paychecks are too short for the month, no food is in the refrigerator, 
and I can go on and on and on. Sometimes all you have is one another. And and if one another results in your uh, sitting on a couch and having a beverage and laughing with one another, if your uh, one another uh, suggests that you all are doing something different up to and including sex and it, and it results in uh, a baby being born, sometimes that's the only smile some people have in life. And as I was watching that part of the uh, Crip Camp, I kept thinking about that over and over again. Like, why don't these camp counselors like, you know, buckle down on this, you know, <laughs> this, 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 cause they, they say it, you know, going behind the buildings and, well, yeah. but, but in that same moment, I said for them right now, it's just freedom. Like it's, we are all like, we are, we are who we know we can be. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to be that person. Right now, and and I believe that the um, the people that led the camp, they had to have that in in their mind. Like, let's let them live. Let's just let them be. They're not hurting anyone. Let's just let them be. Yeah. It, it was really, and really a moving for me. It was a moving moment. Yeah, no, it 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 was for me, and I was so happy to see it. And I think you know what the other piece of it is that they took away the fragility that's often associated with with people with disabilities and you know one one guy was kind of digging a hole to play a prank on you know the campers cuz they fall down a lot and they might fall and trip in this hole right they're not going to break they're not going to break and then when you say, okay, well, the chef's off today, so we're cooking for ourselves. Um, what are we going to make? Well, oh, yeah, we all want veal parm, but veal's expensive, so we're going to have to have chicken. That's right. Um, those are just normal, everyday conversations that teenagers have, that people have, that when we take away all of the PC bullshit and we take away being afraid to break somebody or you know, hurt their feelings and are just our genuine selves. It's, it's that kind of engagement. And that's really, I think that inclusion and that ability to, for the first time, see themselves in their peers, see themselves as independent, as capable, as a community, um, which really grew a lot when when so many of them checked out to Berkeley in California. And that led to this revolution, the the push for getting 504 not just signed, but enacted and ultimately to the IDEA Act, which includes people with disabilities in, in education. I mean, if you think about um, Judy Hooman, who was one of the main camp counselors and, and is an amazing disability rights advocate, she had polio, and so she wasn't allowed to go to, to regular school. She had to go to special ed school. Yep. And yeah, I'm sorry, but she's smarter than me. She's smarter than you. Yeah, yeah. She's smarter than probably three-quarters of the people in the room. And they didn't want to educate her because she used – two wheels instead of two legs. And without Camp Gen Ed, we may not have that that kind of presence and that kind of leadership leading our community now because 
they they never had that experience that they deserve to have the same integrated education that the rest of us do. Yeah, it's absolutely incredible what what they were able to accomplish. You know, the grit in which they had to operate, uh, the patience and the persistence in which they had to operate. You had presidents who didn't want uh, to make the investment because they were asking questions around uh, you know, what's going to be the return on investment, i.e. how many people are really going to use this? And almost as if it's not going to be enough people using it, then why would we make this investment on buildings and cities and transportation? You had hospitals, you had schools that didn't want to make the investment. So they really fought hard uh, to just simply make a way for them to be able to be more present. Uh, and I think now, you know, when when we have people that need to have accommodations made in, in our workplaces. And I'm talking simple accommodations because most buildings now have ramps and elevators. So that's not an issue. Yeah. I'm talking like a telephone, you know, just sometimes you need yep. a special device. You may need a special desk, um, you know, just in, in organizations not willing to make those minor investments. I'm thinking now organizations where once again, we said this a couple of weeks ago, how many of these organizations now, when they think about hiring talent, that talent being remote, yep. will you put that opportunity in front of an audience that has been largely overlooked over the last 50 years? Like, will you advertise that opportunity? Will you connect and collaborate with organizations that service this community? Because we know that they can do the job that you have that Whatever that role is, I, I, from graphic design to data entry to accounting to whatever it is, are you willing to make that investment? Uh, and are you willing to make that investment today? That is what I want people thinking about uh, post this pandemic. How do we yep. include more people uh, in the equations that we have about our business? Yeah. And and the truth of the matter is, is so many of the things that Judy Human said in front of California legislators, in front of um, the, the capital steps, are still being said today. And we still have a long way to go. Our, our civil rights journey is not as progressed as some of, of the other communities. And we need to be louder and we need to be more forceful and we need to be driving more independence for our community. And, and the main way that we're going to be able to do that is with employers who want to be a part of that movement, who want to understand that the value that someone brings to the table is not reflected in how they move in how they think, in how they speak. It's so much larger than that. And if we slow down and take the time to see that value, then we can get so much more in return. And so watch it, watch it, watch it, watch it, and then watch it again because it's that good. I hope it inspires you. I hope it lets you see my community in an entirely new way and and pushes you to think a little bit outside the box about how you can support us and and our journey towards a, a greater inclusion and a greater part of the American dream. 
So our uh, name drop this week happens to go to an individual who unfortunately left us. Uh, We lost Chris Fields uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I got to tell you, when the news came to me, um, you know, about 10, 12 hours after they, they found found out that he had passed away. I was absolutely speechless. Uh, he has been an incredible friend over the last uh, six, seven years, just an incredible spirit, supportive, funny, would post jokes and take stabs at, you know, any and everybody. Uh, and, and my ask of all of our listeners, if you're not familiar with, you know, Chris Fields, uh, a way to, you know, just pay a bit of digital respect. Visit the uh, blog site that he had created, performanceicreate.com. Again, b- the website is performanceicreate.com. He wanted all of the people that are writing or that were writing for that blog site to be defiantly different, to speak about our workplaces with an authentic an honest voice, not that sanitized and buttoned up and safe voice. Let's just call it like it is. Uh, and I know I wrote for maybe a year, year and a half, maybe a year, year and 14, 12, year, year and two months. Uh, and others were writing a bit longer than I was. But Chris Fields, you, my friend, you will most certainly be missed. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, really enjoyed being on Recruiting Brain Food um, this week. Look forward to seeing you on, uh, or sorry, I guess having seen you on um, the the special edition that was held on the seventeenth. And uh, I'm gonna be at home hanging out, trying to do some writing and, and all that over the next couple of weeks. Uh, you have anything else popping up, Torn? Man, we got a lot of great stuff happening. We're still working behind the scenes. Like I said at the top of the show, I want to challenge each and every one of you to go to humanat.work, humanat.work, or actually it's humans, humansat.work, and sign up for the virtual film festival that we're going to be doing on April 29th with Skill Scout. Again, the website Ooh, is yeah. humans at dot work, W-O-R-K. And of course, you can catch me on Sirius XM channel 126, 1 p.m. on Sundays. I don't know who my guest is, but I promise you it's going to be another incredible conversation. And oh, by the way, follow Julie on Twitter at Julie Sowash. Follow me on Twitter at Torin Ellis. For now, Julie and I are ghost. See ya. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transformed, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. 
Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.